0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. You ready? Luke sixteen nineteen to 31, which was true. There was a rich man, everybody say rich man, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. How many love to feast sumptuously? You don't want to admit it now. That's a, Yes. I know you can't tell, but I do too. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. This is an allusion to Job. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, or hell, being in torment he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, everybody say Abraham. Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And the rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him, to send Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers." so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham, everybody say Abraham. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Then Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The Word of the Lord. Isn't that nice? I love when these texts come up. There's clues about the grace of God in them. So, we're in a series called Health and Holiness. And this series is designed to remind us that we should be a river of life flowing from this place and watering all other places. It's not enough that we come here to just merely heal ourselves or come here to have an experience that we desperately need. That must happen. But we also need to realize that we are given all of the goodness we're given on Sunday morning so that we can go out and water the souls that we will meet next, even if they're annoying souls. Even if they irritate you, even if they're immoral, even if they're terrible, even if they're not nearly as good of a person as you are, we have to water them. As Paul Tripp famously said, if you are so right about somebody else's sin, why would God give you the responsibility to be so right about that, if not, to bring grace and mercy to bear in their life? Never just to say that they're sinful. Always to remind them that there's grace and mercy for them. So week one, we talked about witnessing as seen through the scope of hospitality. Our table, inviting people into our homes, is how Jesus finds the sheep and the lost coin. Inviting people to our home is how we preach the gospel. Opening our tables to people who are lost in the faith or lost not in the faith. We've talked about how there's many of us in the room. We can get lost in church, which is a terrifying place to be lost. We could have grown up Christian and still not find our way, lost that flavor, lost that zeal, lost that essence, and tables can help find it. Or tables could introduce people to the Lord for the first time. After all, he is the food on the table. Week two, everybody's favorite topic we talked about generosity and giving and offering of finances and how offering our finances, both in tithes and offerings and in all the other places we can, opens us to living lives of mercy and justice for those that are the oppressed now that will be the ones inviting us to their table then. Yes, listen to last week's message. I know who preached it. It's good. It's good. This week, the health that we need to talk about is how and why God punishes us from time to time. Have you ever felt the chastisement of the Lord on your life? I hope all of you liars do right now. There are not enough hands that went up. God is trying to discipline you. You're grounded. You can't go out to the party. He disciplines us. Yes, I'm, Listen, I'm going to talk about the punishment of God today. This should get all the Pentecostals excited because they love when people get punished. Love it. Such a pastor, what a good servant today. You smack me in the face. Don't talk to people me about mercy, punishment. They're both the same thing. Whenever Jesus tells a parable the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, there is a rich man, there is Lazarus. Whenever he tells a parable, parables are what the words let there be in Genesis 1 look like. So when God says let there be, there was. The way that God continued to say let there be is Jesus telling parables. When Jesus tells a parable, he's creating something new inside of us. He's not looking for you to confirm what you think you already know when he tells a parable. He wants you to see new creative ways to see his mercy and grace. I will tell you the only way that you can ever unlock a parable of Jesus is to say, how does the cross answer this parable? Whatever the parable is, how does the cross answer the questions that the parable raises? That's what we're going to look at now. This story is not about deciding who is the rich man and who is Lazarus. This story is designed to show us what God is doing to the Lazarus in all of us, the part of us that feels left out, cast aside, doesn't have enough, is getting treated unfairly, isn't seeing life happen the way that we were told it would happen. And it's also a parable about what God is doing to the rich man in all of us, the part of us that wants to be elite, the part of us that wants a promotion so that you can be over other people, the part of us that wants to be seen as right and others to be seen as wrong, the part of us that wants vindication, the part of us that wants vengeance, the part of us that wants even more than what we need and then the way we kid ourselves into thinking that's okay. I just remember, you know, we're going to talk about Christmas right now, just so you remember that I am a very positive person. I'm going to try to do this as positively as I can. But this is deep end of the pool. We're swimming with the sharks today. There's no other way around it. This is deep stuff. So we're going to talk about A Christmas Carol, the movie with Scrooge. Is everybody okay? You know, here's how I want you to respond to me. You ready? Respond when I'm talking today like you're the kind of person you want to be in a conversation with. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, you look so good today. Stuff like that. That's what we want to do. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I don't care. Every, and you know this about me, every Christmas Eve, I leave here after Christmas Eve service. I go home. We put the kids to bed. Sugar plums are dancing in their heads. We have, we we finish wrapping the presents. I say we. Jacqueline finishes wrapping the presents because I have no patience for this sort of thing. Because I just ministered. Need a break. (laughs) And I watch A Christmas Carol. Every year. Such a nice time. And I've watched it enough times to know This. The movie is about how Scrooge finally becomes Tiny Tim by the end. When the movie begins, Scrooge has the physical health that Tiny Tim needs. And Tiny Tim has the spirit that Scrooge desperately needs. And by the end of the movie, when he's carrying him away on his shoulders, and it tells you that Tiny Tim did get better and that Scrooge kept Christmas. It was said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas. At that point, the goodness of Scrooge was given to Tiny Tim, and the goodness of Tiny Tim was given to Scrooge, and the two were integrated. Their lives became integrated, but they became integrated as Scrooge went through a purging process because punishment and purging are meant to make us right. They're meant To make us right. So in your Bible, this may say the story of the rich man and Lazarus, but I truly believe the proper title for this parable is The Rich Man Becomes Lazarus. How the rich man gets saved and becomes the one who's lifted from the ashes, Lazarus. I'm writing this sermon this morning. And Sophia comes into the dining room, blanket wrapped around her, all cute. She says, can I sit on your lap? I said, no. Typing. She said, what sermon are you preaching today? Of course, you asked me today. Couldn't have asked me when we were talking about how Jesus finds a lost sheep. That would have been a good Sunday. I said, well, I'm talking today about how God punishes us. And she goes, oh. (laughs) And I said, why does Daddy punish you? And she says, because I'm bad. And I said, no. I punish you to teach you how good you are. And she said, that's better. (laughs) That is the way that God punishes. He doesn't punish us because we're bad. He punishes us to teach us how good we really are and what our full capability actually is. He only ever punishes good people who have been caught up in evil things. This is new for some of us. It should feel in our gut like, yes, A really good friend of mine that I text just about every morning. We have our morning back and forth about how our sport teams are doing. And right now they're all, even the Jets, like we're all kind of doing okay right now. Like like Jesus loves everybody. Even the Jets are doing kind of good. And he says to me, he says, you know, as a Jets fan this morning, it's nice to wake up with some hope. And I wrote back, I hope that's how my church feels tomorrow morning. And then he's like, what are you preaching on? And I'm like, that seems to be everybody's question today. But I told him, and he said, you know, I may not have left church if I heard that a long time ago. He said, that feels more right. So let's talk about this. When God's love pours over us, When it pours over the Lazarus in us, it feels like we're being taken into the side of God. When God's love pours over the part of us that is good and holy and right, we feel affirmed. We feel pulled in. We feel embraced. We feel empowered. We feel reminded that we're more than what the world is saying we are. Amen? It's this feeling that your mighty Father is for you in a way that it doesn't matter what in the world is against you. When the love of God pours over the rich man in us, the competitive part of us, the vindictive part of us, the the I-need-to-get-the-last-word part of us, the I-need-to-win part of us, and I'm please just take this out of the category of money for a moment. This is you, husband and wife. This is you, mom and dad. This is you, kids, brothers and sisters, cousins, coworkers, everybody else. The part of us that just likes to just be risen up so everyone else can see that we're right. That when the, when the love of God, say love, when the love of God pours over that part of us, it feels like fire and it burns real bad because He's purifying you. The crucible is meant for silver. God tests the hearts, Proverbs says. So when His love washes over the part of us that's right and holy, it feels affirming. When it washes over the part of us that is still rejecting and not quite fully self-denied, It feels like fire. Our God is a consuming. We sing that song. Uh, I believe the song is Bow Down and Worship Him. And it says, Consuming fire. Sweet. Do you see how we put those two things side by side? No rational human beings do that. Consuming fire. Forest fire. Sweet perfume. What? Because in us, we know that there's something about the way the fire of God consumes that, like the burning bush, leaves us whole when it's done. So we can sing about his consuming fire next to sweet perfume, because they're the same. His love feels like fire on the part of me that hasn't responded well to his love. Mom and dad, do you love your kids any less when you punish them? Do you punish them to correct them or do you punish them because punishing them is fun? Don't answer that. So what I want to talk about very quickly... I'm not going to go deep enough for you into this, but starting next week on Fridays, I'm going to put out a 15-minute podcast that you can listen to at your leisure, explaining in greater detail the seven fires of this parable. I'm just going to wet the palate right now, but this is about the seven fires of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, seven ways, and in order that matters, that God's fiery love makes the rich man in us, Lazarus. So number one, the fire, and we'll we'll put all of them up so that you can see them, the fire of integration. The first fire is the fire of integration. What does this mean? Very simple. The first fire of God, the first way that God puts fire on our life to burn away the sin is when we see for the first time, this is going to sound simple, when we see for the first time clearly that our life matters to the lives of others. Now You might say, duh, I already know that, but do we live like my life will make somebody else's life better or worse today? A couple Thursdays ago, I went to a Mets game. They're doing so good. I went to a Mets game, and we get there early. There's me, my brother, and my dad, our dad. I said that right. We have a family tree that's like a family garden. It's just. And, you know, we get there early so that we could have some food and have some drinks of milk. So we're drinking our six pack of milk. And we're talking and enjoying ourselves, being silly, being serious, some amazing conversations. Other times we were acting like three-year-olds, all good. A lady comes by with a bag and asks us for all of our cans. Here you go. A little bit later, she comes back again, asks us for more of our cans. I see my brother, when she walks away, run down and just plop a wad of cash in her hand. I said, what was that? What what, what made you want to do that? He said, our garbage is blessing her. That's fire. That burns. That doesn't feel right. That hurts. None of us want to know that that's true. That my trash at a Mets game is somebody else's economy. But when that fire blasts, it changes something in you that reminds you that your life matters to somebody else's. The rich man's life, he was so rich. And because he was so rich and had so much, somebody else has to not have enough. Because there's not an infinite amount to go around. And so the first fire is the fire of integration. Because you're eating sumptuously at your table, he's eating the scraps off of it. Your garbage is his economy. Does that feel good? But we need to see it. And God lovingly punishes us Because we need to see things that we don't normally see because we don't want to see them. And so he sends his fire on us. And that was a moment of fire for me. I didn't feel right the rest of the time. My trash was her blessing. This doesn't feel right. That's hellish fire, but it's his love opening me up to a reality that I need to be responsible for. The second fire is the fire of separation. Not only now does this rich man realize how integrated his life was to Lazarus, that because he was gaining excess, 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 somebody else was gaining less, less, less. But now he's in a situation where there's a distance between him and the poor man. He's all the way over here, and the poor man is all the way over there. And we think, when we read it in a superficial way, that that happened in death. But the fire is saying, that chasm, that separation, even though you were behind this table and Lazarus was right here, this is how far apart you've actually always been. This separation that we see in the fires of hell, that is not a new separation. It's it's revealing the separation that always existed. So first it was my life should matter to somebody else. And the second fire says it was mattering to somebody else. It was pushing them that far away. Is that nice? No. No. Are we friends? Okay. Okay. There's more fires to go. I wish there wasn't. The next fire, the third fire. So first, he realizes, oh my gosh. My life mattered to somebody else's life. And it mattered in a way that pushed them this far away from me. But then, this is where it gets ugly. The rich man's like... I'm really thirsty down here. Who can get me water? I know the dude who's been my slave ever since. Abraham, please tell Lazarus to give me water. This is when the parents say, how many times do I have to tell you? Have you learned nothing? You're in hell. And you're still doing the things you did when you weren't. Farther down you go. But look at this. It first reveals integration. My life matters to your life. Second, it reveals how I'm using the fact that my life matters in a way that pushes somebody else farther away from me, not closer. And third, it reveals the entitlement that I've been walking around with that caused that to happen. In hell, this dude still thinks Lazarus works for him. Tell him to go get me a drink. And Abraham's like, and you have to use your imagination, Lazarus probably got up to do it because the holy part of us does that. And Abraham's like, no, there's a chasm here that cannot be crossed. It's a chasm that you built. It's Jacob Marley walking into the room saying, these chains are the chains that I forged in my earthly life. Yours is a ponderous chain, he says to Scrooge. You're forging a chain with your entitlement and your greed and your inability to acknowledge your fears. And so you're filling your fear with more stuff. And then Marley opens the window and Scrooge sees all of these sorrowful spirits because of him. And here's the rich man, here's Scrooge in hell saying, Cratchit, get me something to drink. And Abraham's like, don't you get up. He needs to learn. This is not how it works. First fire is integration, the second fire is separation, and the third fire, maybe the worst one of all, is the moment when God's fiery love shows us where our sin is all coming from, the entitlement. When you're just found out and there's nothing you can do about it, you're caught Look what happens next. The fire of orientation. The rich man says, fine, listen to this. Send him to my family, because I don't want this to happen to them. All of a sudden... In the fire of God's purifying love, for the first time in the story, this man is thinking about somebody other than himself. Do you see that? Something changed. Forget about me. Please go to them. They're doing what I was doing, and they need to know the truth. All of a sudden, something changed in this man. And here's how you know it changed. And this took me a minute. But he doesn't say, send me back to my family. Get me out of this. Like maybe like a slick, shrewd little way to get out of hell. You know what? You know what? Here's what we're going to do. Get me out of here and I'll go tell everybody. He doesn't say that. He doesn't advocate for himself. He accepts where he is, and he says, send Lazarus to go. Now, on the surface, that could sound as entitled as the previous thing, but it's not. Because when he was thirsty, and he said, send him to give me something, he's belittling Lazarus. But watch this. This is everything. Now he finally sees the goodness in Lazarus. And says he's better to go than me. They won't listen to me. But now I see. That this guy. Who sat next to my table. And ate garbage. Is more holy. More righteous. And more whole. Send him to my family. All of a sudden. Dude's eyes are open. He can see. He can see. and I know what everybody's thinking. What happens next? The fire of salvation. But Abraham said, no one can cross this way. Abraham said, if you don't hear Moses and the prophets, you won't believe. Abraham said, if somebody rose from the dead, no one would believe them. Who said it? Who said it? Who said it? Jesus says something better though. And Jesus is being intentional by saying, Abraham says nobody can cross that gap, but the one telling this parable can. They won't listen to Moses and the prophets, but the one telling the parable, if they listen to him, they will repent. Abraham says if somebody raises from the dead, who no one could believe. But guess what? We're all here because somebody rose from the dead and we believed. So Abraham was wrong. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here right now. Somebody said, Well, Pastor, you're going to say this to the church? Yes, I'm going to say this to the church. Well, what's the proof that Abraham was wrong? The church. If Abraham was right, that nobody would believe if somebody rose from the dead, we. Wouldn't be here right now. But in fact, there is somebody who rose from the dead that can cross what Abraham couldn't cross. Do you remember when Abraham was haggling for Sodom and Gomorrah? Would you save the city for 50? What does God say? Would you save it for 40? Would you save it for 20? Would you save it for 10? And if you're watching the movie, you're like, Abraham, keep on going! And Abraham's like, would you save it for 10? all right, cool, bye, and he leaves, and if you're watching the movie, you're like, he would save it for how many? But Abraham knew that one righteous one hadn't come yet, so he stopped because he saw the chasm and said, God would save, God would bridge this chasm for one person, but who? Who? And then Jesus says to the Father in heaven, would you save the world for 50 righteous people? And God says, and then Jesus gets all the way down. Would you save it for 10? And then Jesus is the only one who can go farther than Abraham and say, here's the thing. Would you save it for one? And God says, for God sent His only Son. Jesus says, then send me. I'll be the one who will stand like this and pull that gap closed. Forever. Where does Jesus go on Holy Saturday after he dies? And he harrows hell. He scares the hell out of hell, so it stops being what it was. What does he say when he's on the cross? I thirst. Who does he sound like? the rich man. I'm thirsty. Lazarus, send me for a drink. What does Jesus do? He says, I'm taking you out of this, and I'll thirst for you. What did the Roman soldiers clothe Jesus in before they beat him in the head? A what color robe? A purple one. What is this rich man wearing at the beginning? He steps in the place of the rich man and saves him. This is the hope I want you to wake up with tomorrow. Sorry, Brett. Better than the Jets. Because. Because. Two things. Number one, he's telling this parable of two people who are dead to people who are alive. And he's offering us the option. Do you want to go through this fiery, hellish version of my love then? Or would you submit to going through it now? When my brother comes back and says, she's making money off our garbage. Flames. Discomfort. Hopefully, pray for me, purifying new attitude, new view, new world view because of something like that. We can go through that fire now. But you know what our prayer could be? How many of you have lost somebody that died in what we would call an unsaved way? We can pray that God's love will do the same thing for them then. And is it wrong to hope against hope? Will hope disappoint in the end? Says it in Romans 5. My hope is that the fire of God's love restores everyone like it restored the rich man, and I'm going to hope for that, and hope does not disappoint. Probably when we see what God does, we will say, I should have hoped for more. I had no idea it was going to be beyond what I could ask or think. Man, we turn that verse into money. What if that verse is meant for salvation? Oh, God's able to do above what I could ask or think. Instead of 80,000, He could give me 89,000 a year. Cool. How about He's not done with people we're done with yet? How about this man has a conversation, and you say, Well, he was having a conversation with Abraham, Pastor, not Jesus. The rich man in hell is held in the heart of Christ who's telling the parable. Out of the abundance of the, the mouth speaks. So in the heart of Jesus resides this man. He's so close to Jesus, he feels alone. But then he hears a voice next to him saying, I thirst. And he's like, I know, right? Wait, you? Why are you here? And Jesus is saying, because I want you to become Lazarus, the one who comes out of the grave and tells the good news. Speaks of what the Lord has done. You know what it says? In the Bible, that when Jesus rose from the dead, graves were opened, and a first fruit of the resurrection came out of the grave, telling what God had done. It leads to the fire of identification, which is what we're coming to now. I sat back... And a question popped into my spirit that excited me. And the question I thought of was, when Jesus is standing at the Last Supper and all of his disciples are here, is it the table of a rich man who's inviting poor men? Or is it the table of a poor man who's inviting rich men? We don't know. Because Jesus has so identified with both, we don't know where the poor starts and the rich ends. You could argue that this is the table of a poor man who's inviting rich men so that they could become poor. You could argue that this is the table of a rich man inviting poor men so that they could become rich toward God. We don't know. Was Jesus carrying Simon's cross? Was Simon carrying Jesus' cross? Yes! He's so integrated. You're gonna go to heaven because you fed me. When did we feed you? When you fed the prisoners. You were them. He's so integrated, he's so identified. That we can't tell if this table is a rich man or a poor man's table. It's a table for rich and poor people. And then we leave with the seventh fire. The fire of our vocation. Our mission. To leave here and go be the fire of God's love. And help purify and refine those around us in our work and for the love of God, can we stop referring to our jobs as secular or spiritual, please? I'm realizing now I've never had a secular job in my entire life because the minute God put on flesh and blood, the minute he inhabits bread, the minute his healing power goes into a sick leg, the spiritual and the natural have become one. God wore it so that there's no separation. Everything you all will do tomorrow is profoundly spiritual and has spiritual ramifications and spiritual work. You're renewing the face of the ground. You're joining God in His renovation project of the Garden of Eden. You're plucking up and you're planting. You're destroying and you're building back. You're not going to break a bruised reed. You're going to be gentle, but you're healing. Everything you do, and if you can't stand what you do, please rebuke the devil, because if you can't stand it, other people at your job can't stand it, and they need salt and light, and that is your job tomorrow. That is what you are called to do. To bring hope, and the hope you bring is the hope that when you were the rich man, he burnt you until you became Lazarus. He put you in the furnace of his love. He put you in the crucible of his care and his shepherding over you. And he may he just let all the dross and all the dirt and all the grime fall off of you. I'm reminded of the very first sermon I ever preached in this building. It was downstairs, and it was terrible. It was terrible. I didn't just hold notes. I held like a big gigantic booklet of them and couldn't turn the pages. It was so nervous. But one of the things I said in the very first sermon, and I think it's one of the things that got me when I was young, is that David said, test me like silver is tested. And as like a mid-teen, like 15 or 16 years old, I'm like, what did he mean? And I read this simple, probably on Wikipedia, so you know it's good. And it said, a silversmith back then would have a chunk of earth, and he put it in the fire. And if he took it out too soon, the earth would melt into the silver and ruin it. But if he left it in too long, the silver would melt and fall into the fire and be ruined. So how did the silversmith know The minute the silver was pure is when he could see his own reflection in it. He's going to hold you over the fire. And all of the sin in us is going to be like, get me out of the fire. He won't hold you in too long, and he won't take you out too soon. He will hold you in the fire of his love until he looks at you and sees Jesus. That's what he wants. That's what we are called for. Does it hurt? My God. Yes, we're all going through it. But when you're done, as it's happening, you can walk around in God's fire like the three Hebrew children did. It was actually in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was actually the ones who didn't want to go into the fire that burst into flames. It was the ones telling other people they deserve to go into the fire that burst into flames. Oh. It was the ones saying, Your life is going to end in flames, that burst into flames. The ones that went into the flames walked around with Jesus. The closer you are to the fire, the less you get burnt. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Pastor, it sounds too good to be true. It's better than that. I just don't have the eloquent words to describe it. Listen, Salem, you can play a little bit. Two people who told me what to do a lot of my life. Some of you, I'm telling you, let's close our eyes for a second. Just sit in the presence of God for a second. You are going through it. You're going through it. God, and I'm not talking about life's trials. You're going through something in your soul with the Father that feels off. It's because... So many of us, starting with me, through these last two years, we've lost our way a little bit. Come on. Can we be on, Is this like Planet Fitness? Is a judgment-free zone? Can we be honest here? If they could do it there with the lunk alarm, we could do it here. And Planet Fitness, I pick things up and I put them down. In the kingdom, Jesus says, I just pick things up. You're feeling it. He's bringing you back. And you're like, but why does it feel? Why does it hurt? Because his love sometimes feels like fire. Because he's working out stuff in our life. And it hurts. None of us, when we got saved, ever put ourselves in the character of the rich man there. And that's one of the first things we've done wrong. We're all that guy. He's working on you though, but he doesn't give up on the rich man. He stands in the place of him. He puts on the rich man's clothes. He frees the rich man from his richiness. He's working on you because his love is relentless. And it hurts. And it's glorious at the same time. But listen, some of us, if you're watching from home, some of us have lost our way. If you're a member of the church and you're watching this on Thursday, see, you've lost your way a little bit. We've lost our way just a little. And so we're either resorting to Christian things that we did a really long time ago that really have no context for today anymore. Or we're just floating about aimlessly. And his fire is calling us back to himself. And it stings. Because we have to come to the realization. Things that we don't want to admit. I'm acting this way because I'm scared. I'm acting this way because my faith is not as strong as it used to be. I'm acting this way because until somebody hurt me, I was all about mercy and grace. And then somebody hurt me, and I'm not anymore. Before COVID, the slinky was pulled as far as it could go, and we were making some ground and some headway, and then COVID came, and snap! We just go back to what's comfortable. His fire needs to get this side of the slinky to move. That's the hardest side. This side. It's easy to snap back, but he wants to nudge the base a little over a little bit more so the next time you snap you're still a little farther ahead i snap a lot yeah you know just before the slinky snaps and when it turns really really white in that one spot like sometimes that's my week it's like oh my god we're there we're all there we're there we're grumpy we're agitated somebody said to me the other day i have gotten flipped off driving more in the last year than i have my whole life so far it's like people are angry have you noticed it's stressful we need we say send the fire but sometimes the fire is judgment but his judgment is not like other people's judgment it makes you whole but it's painful you got to be visited by three ghosts. And what do you need to do? You need to look at your past and own it. You need to look at your present and own it. You need to look at where it's all heading and own it. And then say, please have mercy on me, and you'll wake up. And no time's been lost, and it's Christmas, and you can dance because he judged you faithful. He made you right. Try to tell me that that's not the best movie ever. That was like my whole Christmas Eve sermon. Now I gotta find another one. Lord Jesus, it was on the night when you were betrayed that you poured fire out on the earth. And the fire sounded like, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. The fire sounded like nails being hammered into a cross. The fire sounded like lashes being slapped on flesh the fire sounded like thorns being pressed in like mockery and spit and false accusations and courts with no authority so many of us are living that life so many of us feel you working on us so many of us want to say why do you why are you so far off why does it feel like you're so angry with me and then you held us up in this dish and said, I see all the brokenness. And now I'm saying, it's my body. You know, Salem, in the same way that Adam looked at Eve and said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, Jesus looked at his, us broken people in this dish and he said, you know what? This is my body now. My body's become your body this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh in all of its broken pieces. And I'm going to put this thing back together again. It's going to sting. It's going to hurt. It's going to feel like abandonment. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? I thirst into your hands. I commit my spirit anyway. It stings, but it makes us holy. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on us and let the fire of God fall on our life where it will. Let it bring comfort where there needs to bring comfort, and God, disturb me where I need to be disturbed. Singe me where I need to be singed. Put me in the crucible where I need to be made whole. And God, no matter how much I kick and scream, do it anyway because I want you to be able to look at me and see your image and your likeness and however long that takes. Father God, Salem Tabernacle, we are committed to that work. We are committed to the work of being refined so that we can reach out and touch the world and bring healing to it. So descend on this room and make us for the world, the body of Christ, so that we could leave here and say, this is my broken body offered for you. This is my home. This is my money. This is my time. This is my ability offered to you. This is my forgiveness. This is my mercy. This is my apology. This is my repentance given to you. Help us to stop being afraid to admit that we've been manipulative, to admit that we control, to admit that we don't want to learn anymore, to admit that we're terrified, terrified of getting older, terrified of being young, terrified of being parents, terrified of not being parents, terrified of being married, terrified of not being married. We're scared. We are scared. And give us grace to admit it so that your grace can flow in. And teach us. so that the world could look at us like Moses looked at the burning bush and say, it's on fire, but why is it not consumed? Because your fire makes us alive. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. While the worship team ministers to us, I'm going to ask if Elder Ron and Elder Bill would come and hand out uh, communion on either side. Come down the aisles, receive from the Lord's table, Don't rush out of the service. Receive from the Lord's table and contemplate what the Lord is saying. And then worship for a moment and just let it all digest. He's talking to you this morning. Come to the table of the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, Check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.